Welcome to Kohler Mania. Thank you for joining us today. I am Tanya. I'm Michael. And today we're going to go ahead and continue in our conversation regarding sex, how to teach our children about sex. And it's funny because in the last couple podcasts, we were talking about the S word, but you know, we're just going to go ahead and say sex because it's something that we should not be shamed of. So, uh, Hey husband, (laughs) can you give us an overview of just a quick little overview of what we talked about? Yeah. Just to catch us back up in the conversation, just some best practices on how to teach our children about the S word sex. One of the main principles was that it needs to be an ongoing conversation starting at birth. Get used to it, to saying the body parts and then transitioning quickly before ages 10 or 11 about the facts of life. But it's not a one and done, just one 20 minute conversation with the teenager. It needs to be an ongoing conversation, part of an overall instilling a Christian worldview worldview training Mm -hmm. and training in the Bible needs to be a part of that, not separate from that. Primarily focusing on God's design. That's a sign and seal of the covenant of marriage, oneness, intimacy, pleasure, procreation, raising godly offspring, reuniting God's image, joined souls and spirits meant for the container of marriage between a man and a woman. Uncontained, it just causes all kinds of problems, just like fire and water uncontained causes a lot of problems. And we want to get into that secondarily about the watchman on the wall kind of issues about being outside of God's design with fornication and premarital and extramarital uh, sex and living together without being married, polygamy, LGBT issues and such. That's a secondary thing that we want uh, to talk about, primarily focusing on God's design and the beauty of God's design. Um, But we want to protect our kids from exposure to a lot of the things that are outside of God's design, but because don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character, the Bible tells us. Um, But they're going to be exposed. There's no way to prevent that. They're going to be in this world, hopefully being good light and salt to this world, but they're going to be in it and exposed to it. We have to be ahead of the game and present our message, the biblical message on sex, and get that out in front of what they're going to be exposed to in the world. So a couple more important principles that we wanted to cover have to do mainly with having a broad focus. That's one of the main things that I was really hearing from a lot of the strong evangelical teachers on this subject was to make sure that we have a broad focus when we're talking with our teenagers about this. And I believe we covered about the fact that we don't want to just talk to our teenagers when they're teenagers as if this is only a teenage issue, but it also applies to when they're a young adult, when they're in college, when they're engaged, even when they're married. Frustration and temptation doesn't end when they're married or a widower. We need to talk to them about issues in every stage of life while we have them, while they're under our household and we're discipling about this topic. Go ahead and have that broad focus of not just getting through the teenage years, but also the young adult years and being married and engaged and already lay the foundation on that. So we want to have that broad focus. Uh, The other area of having a broad focus is also to remember to talk to our children about their thought life. Don't just be focused on their behaviors. Teenagers, especially if we remember back to our teenage years, we can be consumed Mm -hmm. with thoughts in this area and we need to help them through this. 
you know, we hear in Philippians 4 through 8, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. So we, we want to kind of emphasize those kind of thoughts and ask them what other kinds of thoughts they are entertaining, because you know they are. Yes, when they become teenagers, 60% of men say that they view pornography regularly. And so they're fueling those kind of thoughts with what they're seeing. 30% of women say that they view pornography regularly. And it's the same stat for those who identify as Christians and those who, who don't. And of course, this all kind of depends on how you define pornography, because, you know, you could define it rather broadly or rather narrowly, and it's kind of difficult to define. Even the Supreme Court had a hard time defining it, and they've come up with the definition of things like it stirs up the prurient interest, meaning the sexual, sexualized interest. But even under that definition with the Supreme Court, that could mean that even Glamour magazine is considered pornography. But what about other wider issues like romance novels and soap operas, any of these things that can produce unrealistic expectations in physical appearance or, or romantic expectation or fantasizing about someone other than your spouse. If we have a broader definition to include romance novels and soap operas and, and some of the other racy things that we might see in magazines and such, you know, dare I say, probably close to not even 100% of us have issues in looking at things that we shouldn't. Would, would you agree with that? I mean, this is a struggle that, that everybody would have at some degree. If you're human, God created us to have a sexualized interest to draw us close to each other, and it's only meant for marriage, but it's a struggle with all of us to try to contain it within that marriage and only look at things that is meant for marriage. I agree, because I know growing up, I would read some novels that just seem really more fairy tale type of novels where the guy is like this charming guy. And so you have this picture of a man being this charming, loving, doing everything for the woman, but like that's not reality. And so we get a skewed view of what a man should be, if that makes any sense, instead of of course, I was not a believer, so and I'm not saying that people that read novels aren't are not believers or are believers. Nothing against that, but I think it does skew the mind and it makes us have a different expectation. And I think that's the issue is we put on different expectations on others that are not actually true. And then when they don't fulfill those needs or those fantasies that we think that we've been, I guess, reading on or hearing about, then we're not happy. And we feel like the relationship is not going anywhere. They're not doing what they should be doing in the relationship. And it just skews reality. Yeah. That, and that's part of the problem. I mean, all these areas where we're looking at things that they shouldn't can kind of skew our view of the opposite sex and, and sex in general and give us these unrealistic expectations that we carry on into the marriage. And when we facilitate these kind of thoughts, our thoughts can lead to behavior. And so we got to watch out for, for those kind of issues as well. And we, we all struggle with it. I mean, even if righteous Job in the Bible, it says that he made a covenant with mm -hmm. his eyes not to look lustfully 
at a woman. Now, that tells me a couple things. First of all, he struggled with it just like we all do, and mm-hmm. he worked to overcome it. He had to make a covenant with his eyes to not look lustfully at another woman who is not his wife. So even if Job, righteous Job, had to struggle with this issue, then to be sure the rest of us are going to be struggling with it to differing degrees, but to some degree or another. And But the problem is that only 14% of parents have addressed the topic of pornography and what kids are seeing or and the thoughts that they're having and the thoughts that they are entertaining and facilitating by what they're seeing. Only 14% of parents, and this is an important enough issue that it needs to be addressed in our ongoing conversation with our children because 20% of us, according to statistics, go to a level of not just being preoccupied with it and looking at it, but actually being addicted to it. It's just consuming our every thought and consuming a lot of what we're doing. 23% of the people out there have a pornography app on their phone in order to view pornography more easily. So it's a genuine issue out there, and there's plenty of people that are addicted. Our children could possibly be addicted to it, uh, our teenagers as they're here, and they might not talk to us about it. And so we need to initiate that conversation, start before it's ever a problem, laying the foundation that they can talk to us about absolutely anything, and then approach the issue. What's your thought life like? And share with them, you're not alone. Whatever thoughts you're having, I have the same thoughts. And I have to struggle with it. And here's the ways that I try to overcome it, like Job making a covenant with my eyes and paying attention to what I'm looking at. And, you know, we we need to engage in that battle with the flesh and have the spirit overcome that. You know, we, we need to have those open discussions with our children. So at the very least, if it rises to the level that they are really struggling with their thoughts to the point of addiction and are really having issues and can almost be tormented by these thoughts and have feelings of guilt and shame, that they still feel comfortable to come with us and we can walk with them through that and help them without but without engaging in the conversation and initiating that, they may never come to us at all. Now, they don't have to share every crazy thought that passes through their head, but you know, if you need help with your thought life, you can come to me without guilt or shame. We can work through it together. This is what we're, we're looking for in helping, um, helping our children through this. And you know, is our thought life glorifying God? Or are we entertaining bad thoughts? Um, we need to engage in that struggle with them and talk it through with them to help them, to help them with that. Um, the, the other thing is to, in our scope of broadening out or having a broad focus is not just their thought life, um, and what they're viewing, um, but also having hedges of protection around the S word, around sex. A common question that kids may ask, and we all kind of ask it at some point, it seems, is what is sex exactly? You know, the, the it's Bible, funny. it's kind of interesting, though. You, you, it just seems obvious when you think about it. But if you start to think about it and you try to define it, you have the same issue that you have with pornography. How in the world do you define it? Where Where is the limits? Where does sex begin? And the Bible's not going to give a roadmap to, to that. It kind of takes for granted that we know what it is. Um, but the most important thing, if we ever asked that by our children or we just present it by our own initiative, is what's the reason for the question? Is it to see how we can do as much as possible 
and still be technically a virgin or, you know, so then we'd have as narrow a definition as possible. So it's just an allowing us to do as much as possible. Or do we do like parents and, and preachers tend to do is to have a broad definition yeah. to basically say any act of physical intimacy <clears throat> in effect is, is, is considered sex, which, um, which I don't, I don't agree with, with both approaches. If we have a really broad approach, by the time we talk to our children about this, we can put a lot of guilt on them when they're like, oh, wow, I thought I was a, I was a, still a virgin and still under God's principles and such, but I didn't realize just hugging was considered sex, you know, or just kissing was considered sex. And I'm like, that's, that's too broad of, of a definition or, you know, looking at something you shouldn't look at is actually considered sex. I mean, certainly joining two bodies with sexual organs would be sex, but is foreplay, it gets in a very big gray area when you start going down that road of when does, when does sex begin and at what point are you no longer a virgin? A more important principle that we want to lay down as a foundation for our children is don't try to figure out where that line is and so that you can approach all the way up to it and still be okay under God's law. We want hedges of protection far away from that line. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take a fire, take fire into his bosom and not be burned? 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. A big mistake we often make is we flirt with sexual immorality instead of fleeing it. It is a big temptation to flirt with the idea of having sex or even flirting with any body parts. But I think about Joseph and he did such a great job. He's such a great example. This woman lusted over him. It was Potiphar's wife. We don't know her name. She's Potiphar's wife. <laughs> um, but she had a lust for Joseph. She lusted, I mean, desired. She probably was not able to fight her thoughts thinking about Joseph because the, the word says that Joseph was handsome. So what did he do? He could have been there and stayed with her and laid with her and had sex with her. Same thing. He made the choice to flee from her, which was the godly choice. He said, how can I do this thing to harm my God? Like, how can I offend my God? And that's where I think we need to have that perspective with our children is to know that you are made in the image of God. Your body is the temple. And what we do, the word says that sex is something that harms the body when it's done outside of God's design. You're harming your own body. And it is his design for you to save that for your spouse so that there is no, um, like you talked about in the previous podcast, disease or unwanted pregnancy or just shame, or you just don't know. I also think about, I think it was David's daughter, um, his son wanted Tamar so badly that after he pretty much raped her, he had disgust with her. So, I mean, these are things that we really have to consider. The Bible gives us all the right resources to use as examples for us to be able to um, teach our children about sex. Yeah. And I love your example with Joseph. I mean, there, it seems like he had a mindset like Job, Job making the covenant with his eyes, not to look lustfully at a woman that's not his wife. And here we have the example of Joseph fleeing sexual immorality. 
you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're alone with somebody who can all of a sudden start to come on to you because that's very flattering. I mean, especially for a guy. I mean, I'm not in a woman's shoes, but in a guy's shoes, if a woman just comes at you in that very sensualized manner, it's 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 very flattering and it's 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 hard to not succumb to those feelings and allow it to progress even more and see how far I can progress that even with maybe the Bible and um, how far I can go and still be in under God's law and be okay. But we're flirting with fire. We're taking fire into our bosom. We might just get burned. We might get in a situation that just gets away from us. The most important principle to do is when we're in that situation is to just run. That's what Joseph did, flee sexual immorality. Uh, Here's some interesting stats. Uh, 76% of Christians say sex before marriage is wrong, but 80% of Christians have had sex before marriage, and 42% of professed Christians are in a current sexual relationship. 80% of first sexual encounters involve alcohol or drugs. Some of those stats, what that tells me is we're putting ourselves perhaps in positions that can kind of get away from us, you know, where when the realm of alcohol or drugs, if we're already at a, at a party where there's a lot of sensuous stuff going on and people are, are drinking and we might get caught up into something that, that we never intended to happen. And so it's very important. I like the first Thessalonians 5.22 principle where it says, don't even have the appearance of evil. You know, here's that hedges of protection Again, is it important to not even put ourselves in positions that can overwhelm our abilities to prevent things from happening? And so what are some of those hedges we could have? You know, maybe perhaps not ever being alone with uh, another person of the opposite sex, you know, or some people put very strong hedges about they're not going to they don't want to kiss anybody that's not their spouse essentially, you know, or hug somebody in any sensual manner that is not their spouse. Certainly kissing or hugging relatives, hello or goodbye is not the same thing, but perhaps they don't want to ever kiss another girl of the same age that's not a relative or or hug somebody. They want to save that for marriage. Um, And only the first kiss that they have is the spouse that they married to at their wedding day. And so there's some that have those strict hedges. And we all going to probably draw these lines differently and put hedges that are different than others. But we need to have that conversation with our children. Where are those hedges? And those hedges should not be right at the line of what's right or wrong and what crosses us over from being a virgin to not being a virgin, because that's just playing with fire and we just might get burned because our bodies biologically are set to rev up and keep on going. And our children especially may not realize that until they're in the moment and they have somebody that's coming on to them and they're like, whoa, I kind of like those feelings. And maybe let's try that a little bit more. And it just goes down a path that they weren't ready for. And so we need to have those discussions with our children before that happens and let them be aware of that and what hedges are they going to have beforehand making the covenant with their eyes, already having a plan in place that if they see something happening, they're just going to run from it and get out of there. Perhaps not going to those parties where there's just a bunch of drinking going on and, and other things. Those are very dangerous situations that may not 
be good. Do you have any other thoughts on some hedges that we might have? I think having good influences, godly influences around too, encourages the crew, I guess, if, you know, you have a, a group of, of kids. I just think about some of the youth kids that I've taught. They have such a strong bond with their age group that they're always in the word, encouraging each other in the word. So they're looking out for each other, which is what is supposed to happen. I mean, we do that as adults. We have accountability. And I think having maybe teenagers that have strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would have that accountability. Hey, I've been looking at these things or I've been thinking about this. And maybe that friend or that sister or brother in Christ is like, hey, you know, let's get in the word. Let's pray about this. Let's let's walk through this together, you know, because those temptations are real. I mean, we have it. I have an accountability person. I mean, we all should have an accountability person. And I think that so should teenagers. Why why is that an exception for them? If they are rooted in Christ and we want the very best for them, then why not work with their friends so that they can have like an accountability group within each other? I think that's kind of a neat idea. And then just accountability with your parents, you know, talk about these things. If, if we've been talking about sex all along, then it shouldn't be shameful. We shouldn't be able to like say, oh, we don't, we're not going to talk about that. No. If our child comes to us and says, Hey, I've been thinking about these things, then we should sit down, like you said, and say, let's talk about it. Like, let me tell you what my experiences were. Like, we should not be ashamed to share our experiences with our children. I mean, eventually they're going to be adults. Eventually they're going to be facing the world. So we aren't perfect and we need to share our experiences with our children so that maybe they can walk further into the Lord's will. Yes. And I love what you say about having a good support network. Do not be deceived. Bad company cor- corrupts good character. The opposite is true. Good company just can really build you up and support one another. And if you have good, strong, biblically minded friends that uh, can call you out on things that when you're going too far with something, that's a great thing to have, to have that great network of friends that are willing to give you advice and tell you things that you might not want to hear in the moment. And if we can teach our kids to have a willing heart to listen and receive some of those advice that people give, I mean, that could just go a long ways. We need to make sure that we're looking at what kind of company our kids are being around and the influences they have, because that's a big part of this. Do they have a good, strong support network that will keep them biblically minded and firm on God's principles? Or are they hanging around a, a lot of company that's really trying to get everybody in trouble and do things that they that they shouldn't be done. So we need to talk to our children about that, and we need to keep an eye on what kind of company they have. But I think what's really important about this is I think most of us can look back and see where we looked at things that we probably shouldn't have or did some things that we may have regretted, and we never had any discussions with our parents to even be ready for those things before it happened. Let's not do that as parents. Let's at least have the conversation. Mm -hmm. If the children end up making their own decisions and they make the wrong ones, 
then that's on them. And it's not because we didn't disciple them. We didn't already give them a heads up about what's coming around the corner that they're not aware of yet. A lot of times we forget about that, that they're new to all this. This world is so new. They haven't done any of these things yet. They're, they're seeing everything brand new and they want to experiment and they want to try these things. And we need to let them know what's around the corner lurking and what they'll regret afterwards. We at least have that duty as parents to advise our children about our experience, what we know is around that corner so that they can make at least an informed decision. And hopefully it is the right one. Um, but at least they're not in a situation that completely caught them by surprise that they weren't ready for. And now they're regretting afterwards and they just wish somebody would have just told them and prepared them for that. That's our job as parents. And we need to make sure that we are on that. And that's what this broad focus does when we're talking to, to them about the S word, about sex. We need to have that broad focus to talk about their thought life, to talk about what they're they're seeing, to have those hedges of protection around this issue, not trying to see how far we can get up to the line without crossing it, but how far around that line are we making sure that we're putting a hedge that we won't cross so we're not caught up in something that we weren't ready for. So have that broad discussion with them as part of your ongoing conversation with your children. We have a couple more topics on this matter when it comes to dating. That's a big topic that uh, we want you to stay in tune for, for podcasts to come, dating, as well as technology. Technology is a real big influence in this area that we have to get control of with our children and not be caught by surprise with this area. So dating and technology are two areas that we want to focus on in, in the future podcast to come. This is great information. And I hope that our listeners are really taking it in. Even if you have small children, even if you have teenagers, I think it's great to just start that conversation now. Better now than later. And better now that you do it versus the world because if not, they will corrupt your children. So I am so thankful that we got a chance to talk through this, our part three of sex, teaching our kids to navigate through sex and just really being mindful of what their thought life is, is very important, especially accountability. So this is great. And we are going to wrap it up. And we will tackle, like you said, dating and technology in our next podcast. So we thank you again for joining us. And until next time. God bless. 